Welcome everybody and thanks. And our guest is uh, none other than Kristen J. Appleman, our esteemed chair this year. Don't get used to it because it's only a year. That's it. Uh, Kristen is SVP of Health, Wealth, Tax, Compliance, and Business Development. Did I get it all? I, I think so. think so. ADP Total Source. Uh, I had a monstrous title when I was in the Labor Department, but I think you beat me. That's really good stuff. Uh, that's it. So uh, so welcome. First of all, thanks for being with us today. I know you. Thank you, Pat. Happy Friday and looking forward to this. I know you've got a busy uh, busy schedule, so I really appreciate you, uh, you doing this. Um, so I always start at the beginning. We started at the beginning, humble beginning. So you started in Orlando, right? You're, you're, I did. Born and raised in Orlando, Florida. I think third generation uh, Orlandian. So it's, you know, you think about my grandmother, my mother, myself, um, all born in Orlando. Wow. So Walt Disney was like new money, right? When he showed up. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, uh, I, I lived in the north side of Orlando, so I tried to stay away from the theme park south side because that's always just crazy. <laughs> so we'll skip ahead and you find yourself at uh, some state school I'd never heard of. What is it? Oh, goodness. Here we go. Here we go. For those that, uh, you know, are not familiar with Florida, there are several colleges in Florida, but the best one, which is the one that I went to, is none other than the Florida State University, the Seminoles. Not to be confused with the other schools being University of Florida, the Gators, or the Miami, the Canes, or UCF Knights. No, it was Florida State University. And while you were there, uh, it wasn't like you studied PEOs. You studied something very different at FSU. I did. So I come from, my mother um, is a retired music teacher. And so music uh, was definitely a big part of growing up and what I did. Uh, so I had a wonderful idea to go to school for music therapy. So I was a music therapy major and I get a lot of questions of what in the world is that? Uh, and it's really just using music to achieve a non-musical objective. So you think of like equine therapy, pet therapy, art therapy, there's music therapy. So I did a lot of work um, in the Alzheimer's unit. So I did a lot of work with elderly who uh, had dementia did uh, work at the psych hospital. So yes, I can tell some stories about the psych hospital. Uh, and, you know, did a lot of work with um, dis- uh, disadvantaged kids mm-hmm. uh, and also kids with special needs. So I've, I had to learn how to speak sign language and learned instruments and, uh, you know, culminated with a, a year-long internship. So it was actually a five-year degree, a uh, year-long internship with Leon County Schools up in Tallahassee. But then I realized, you know, I liked it. I didn't love it. And I'm one that I got to love it. Yeah. 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 And I, you said something the other day when we were talking. So with, with the Alzheimer's patients, you were saying how like people who were like completely out of it, I mean, putting words in your mouth, like would wake up with music or they'd come back. Right. That's absolutely correct. If you, especially if you knew the music of their day, it's no different than today. You may hear that song come on the radio and you're like, oh, that was my jam. <laughs> uh, and you instantly remember the words and how it goes and the movements, yeah. you know, if there was a dance to it. And yeah. uh, no different for Alzheimer's patients that those memories are so embedded and they can be, you know, appearing to not quite remember and know where they're at, how old they are, what year it is, who is the president. But you have that song that they remember and they just come alive. Yeah. Uh, and it's like that 
personality that existed inside of them yeah. is now brought to life and through that. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable to see it. You, um, Your instrument was voice, wasn't it? It was. I was actually in the opera one year. So what range? I was a mezzo-soprano. Wow. Okay. You still sing around the house or? Um, n- I sing in the shower, but uh, <laughs> no, you will never get me to go karaoke. That's usually the next question. Oh, we got to go do karaoke. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. I, I, I think there's a big difference people forget about when you're going to music school. It's not like you're going to pop song school. You're going for the serious stuff. You know, the Italian, yeah. the French, the you name it. And uh, it's a very, very different style. Yeah. And uh, I, I I was blessed with a good voice, not a great voice. And I, and I um, went to school with individuals who just had a, amazing voices. Uh, and, uh, you know, you had to go on a monthly basis in front of all of your peers perform. And any shot of, of you know, Fear, you get over it pretty darn fast because you got to go out there on stage and do it. Yeah. Wow. In a funny way, that serves you well in life, right? I mean, that's right. That that's a thing. So, um, yeah. No. So from there, uh, you make the move from a voice. Oh, by the way, do you want to sing the national anthem at the Napio conference this year or not? No. I will pass because I'm (laughs) sure there's somebody more qualified. So, so, uh, what's the transition from that to the PEO world? I know all roads lead to Jevity and right. So, so yeah. So how'd you go from the, the, uh, Tallahassee County, the schools that are in Tallahassee Uh to, to, uh, our esteemed universe? How did you make that leap? You know, there's always this story that, you know, you, you don't go to school for PEO, no different than many people don't go to to college for their given trade. Um, when I was in college, I had been working retail and kind of wisened up, I think my sophomore year of college, that this retail gig uh, doesn't pay very well and that, you know, I have all these other skills. And so I ended up going into a, a staffing agency to, to do some part-time summer work. Of all things, I was placed in an HR department and I was doing 401k audits and time audits. And I did, I guess, such a good job. The owner of the the staffing firm called me and said, hey, why don't you come work internally? I'll teach you how to do this recruiting thing. And uh, lo and behold, I that was when I came home on holidays. I went and worked my spring breaks, my summers. So that was my job. As I got out of college, I realized like, hey, I, I had this pretty good. And so I was a recruiter. Uh, and I learned a lot from him. Um, I it was during those years I learned the value of knowing what your numbers are and what are you how are you managing to you know drive to what your targets are and if you aren't managing it and, man- and measuring it you're not going to to reach it. Um, but ultimately I, I realized that um, I wanted to expand upon that and ended up uh, getting hired into an internal HR department doing recruiting. Um, a load of fun was during when the pre.com, everything mm. was booming. And yeah. um, lo and behold, I walked in on a Monday morning and uh, the company declared bankruptcy. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> I, you know, I, I loved it uh, that I went to work for their um, organization and loved what I was doing. And they got bought <laughs> and wow. everything got transferred up to, to Philly. So there was this period of a few years that I just was like, bankruptcy merger acquisition and I, I thought my gosh there's got to be 
something's more stable. This is, you know, this just feels very loosey goosey uh, and ended up because of some of the HR knowledge. And I had uh, gone and uh, at that point had my master's of HR from Rollins College. So I do have a, an affiliation with Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. Um, and I got hired into uh, a business that used a PEO. And, you know, thought this was fantastic. I learned about it. And then as I was progressing, I had an opportunity to go do internal or go do the HR services for a PEO. And so PEO wasn't new to me. I had seen that side of it being the, the customer and the client and the value of it as you grew the organization. And what I loved when I joined Jevity was I was um, an HR consultant or HRC is what we were called. And I loved being able to have this portfolio of 60 to 70 clients, all different, all different sizes, all different industries, all different personalities. I had said that I learned to be a chameleon because I was walking into one meeting and the next meeting it was something different. Um, And I was given the area of South Orlando, which as I shared, I live in the north side of Orlando. So I did not... Uh, know anywhere where I was going uh, and uh, got lost quite often. Uh, but I loved it and learned about benefits. I learned to be a jack of all trades. And I just started moving up from there and taking on uh, the Orlando office, regional office, um, you know, learned the payroll side, learned implementation, really just became that jack of all trades and all parts of, of the PEO and very appreciative of the, the sales team that I had in Orlando it was one of the top producing sales teams in the country. That team just took me under their wings, um, taught me a great deal. I had leaders that, um, you know, were very well known in the industry and just really taught me everything that I needed to know mm-hmm. how to price a client, how to retain a client, how this works, how that works. And many of those early friendships I still have to this day, 20 plus years later. Wow. And and the lessons remain. Oh, yes. Right. Right. You know, the the arbitrage might, you know, not be like it, <laughs> as it was in the past, but how do you drive value? What's the challenges that a business owner is dealing with? The fact that they want to do their, make their widgets or provide their service. They don't want to be worrying about these other things that that's not why they went into business. Uh, and when you add that value and you make it easier for them, be it back then or today, that still rings true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny. By the way, I should say one point of clarification back to your earlier comment about getting lost. For all listeners under 30, we have to explain there was no <laughs> GPS. So we got lost. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I remember, you know, I was so excited then that MapQuest existed and I'd have to map out all of my visits for the day and hope to goodness that a client didn't change, cancel, because then I'd have to refigure out where in the world I was going. And um, unfortunately, in parts of the South Orlando, cell phone coverage wasn't very good either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of U-turns. I learned how to do a lot of <laughs> And so was that Jevity? Did you work for that? That was Jevity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when did you make the move to Total Source? It was direct from Jevity to Total Source, right? Yes. Yes. So in, that two, so in 2000, I think, eight or nine, 
Trinet uh, and Jevity uh, uh, merged. So uh, they had some similar backing. Jevity was public at the time and went private as part of the transition. And so it worked for the Trinet business uh, for about two years and, mm-hmm. you know, massive migration of client movements, platforms, processes. Uh, and really, I think it was a lesson learned of M&A is just hard. Any kind of M&A, it's always harder than you expect. Something is more challenging that you that the unexpected occurs. Um, and that really the culture of who you are, what you are, what you provide, your, um, you know, the the different parts of the relationship that really can, um, you know, lean themselves to, you know, how they do business with you as the PEO. There's really a lot of different flavors of PEO. And I think I didn't appreciate that until uh, seeing that merger occur and, and realizing that there were different perspectives of PEO out there. Um, but, you know, I wasn't looking. Uh I happened to have a, a former leader of mine from Jevity uh, called and, and said, "Hey, Kristen, uh, you know, are you, you you interested in doing something new?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, I want to continue to move up. You know, I'm still learning this, you know, the post merger." And she goes, "Well, there's an opportunity, and I'm not interested in it, but I think you might be. Can I give them your name?" Well, it was ADP. Uh, it was ADP. Uh, it was with the was called Resource, which was our ASO division. It's now part of Comprehensive Services, and it was building their resource team. So when I came in, it was an unprofitable business. Um, had really been a, been around three or four years. Uh, spun off of the PEO as a way to have an alternative uh, offering that had some of those HR bells and whistles and solutions and services without the co-employment re- uh, relationship. So I joined Resource um, at the time I was living in Orlando and the role was in Atlanta. So I picked mm. up, moved uh, to Atlanta uh, back in April of 2011. So I just am celebrating 12 years this wow. year with ADP uh, and then four years in Resource. So I was the VP of, of client services across the country. It was a lot of fun to build a, a team of about HR uh, business partners in the field uh, to when I transitioned to Total Source, we had, had over 150 uh, so massive growth, business became profitable, uh, and really was a lot of fun building something from scratch and figuring out how to, to be gritty and entrepreneurial and, and figure out a way when you didn't have all the resources you would you would yeah. necessarily want. Yeah. And so you so you got to total source like 2016 or so? Roughly, yeah, around around there. And I started as a general manager of uh, what was the mid-Atlantic market? But I, mm-hmm. I, said, it, I laugh because the mid-Atlantic was not what you might consider a mid-Atlantic. Like, what do you consider mid-Atlantic? At? What states are in the mid-Atlantic? Yeah, like I'm in it, right? Like D.C., yeah. Maryland, Virginia, like in this way. Yeah, right. Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's funny. Uh, Mid-Atlantic was everything from Georgia, Tennessee, skip <laughs> over D.C., Virginia, Maryland, but include New Jersey and Pennsylvania and then swing <laughs> to the West to include Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio. Yeah, not, uh, not, tradi- not traditionally considered mid-Atlantic states. I, I didn't know what to call it. It was a market <laughs> that had been formed as a conglomeration of, of three previous markets. And so it became a joke. It was you know, a little bit like taking three former businesses and putting together. So I think there's this theme of like merger acquisition. It was merging three different teams and three different ways and three different types of 
customers and their profiles and their cult, you know, cultural dynamics from the geography. Yeah. Um, so I spent a little over a year as a, a GM, wow. loved it, had a great time. But once again, the the phone rang and this time it was uh, Maria Black and Brian Mashad saying, Kristen, we need somebody in benefits. <laughs> Can you come run benefits? Uh not what was on the, the, the roadmap at that time, but I, I trusted them tremendously uh, and felt like they would not put me in a situation to fail. And so I moved into benefits. And in what year would that be? Like That would have been 2017. I think okay. 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 And so at that point, how many uh, ballpark, how many worksite employees did Total Source have? My gosh. Oh, that's like that's thinking back. I want to say we had crossed over 500,000 or we were just nearby that because I had a uh, at the time, I think Maria that year, year before had made us all plaques with 500,000. And every time we would tick up another 10,000, we would scratch it off and and wow. uptick it. And, uh, you know, we crossed over 700,000. Uh, over the last year, so it's uh, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Wow. So okay. So when uh, when did you move into this role? So this role, when I started as benefits, um, it's technically been somewhat the same role, but every year um, the phone rang, so to speak. And at <laughs> uh, first, you know, it started as benefit service. A year later, it became the the full carrier operations end to end plus the four hundred one k multiple employer plan. A year later, it included tax, a year later, compliance, a year later, business development and some special projects that we have, you know, that that uh, are aligned on the business development side. So it, uh, it's been a growing role, um, was promoted to SVP uh, back in 2020. So technically was was promoted in 2020 but the the role has just been gaining ground gaining ground year over year yeah yeah it's like i keep seeing commas getting added i'm, I'm like <laughs> i'm like real. i'm like girl you gotta get out of there man now, now you're getting more stuff added. I, yeah i can't there's no more space on the business card it's just it's got to be shortened yeah 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 no absolutely so uh what is a what is total source what is total sources better mousetrap People out there selling, you got a bazillion PEOs out there. What's the value prop? What's what's the what's the better mousetrap that you guys uh, have? You know, we have something very unique in that there's not a lot of other PEOs that have that advantage of an incredible amount of data in this very large payroll only environment, and it it gives us the ability to do things with data insights. Um, awareness, benchmarking, um, being able to identify a prospect that's not really a prospect. They're already an ADP client, but they fit the characteristics of what a PEO can add value, be it I'm a growing business, um, I'm dealing with turnover, I'm trying to create Fortune 500 benefits, but yet I'm a small business. Um, and so that gives the ability to you know, really try and grow uh, in a way that others don't have that, you know, they're having to rely on a, a direct sales force or through other channels. Uh, you know, in ADP, I think the other dynamic is, you know, we are a tech firm. So yes, we're in the HCM space, but several years back, uh, Carlos planted a, a flag in this in the ground and said, we are a tech company. And that's really where the, the future is. And let's stay true to our roots as to what we're looking to do and improving the way 
businesses are run and the HR function is run while being able to meet a client where they are at. And so the the tech dynamic of being able to continue to build upon it. So as ADP builds other products and solutions that we get to, you know, leverage off of that and be able to mm-hmm. use it in ways that that add that value, you know, versus another organization or another PEO that, you know, they don't have that at their disposal. And so that uh I think the brand, the credibility uh, the fact that this, you know, we've been in business for, uh, you know, with Henry Taub founding it and um, knowing that the the business is on good footing, stable, uh, a shareholder, you know, dividend, you know, consistent performance from a financial realm, but also things like cybersecurity and, and elements of um, just trust because of the immense amount of volume, you know, ADP pays yeah. one in six Americans. So, you gotta, you have to get, have your act together yeah. to be able to do that and to ensure that your brand and your credibility continue year over year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, that, that is unbelievable. And, but having that basis from the mothership of the payrolls that you do for one in the mm-hmm. six has to be a great pipeline for the PEO industry. It, it is. It absolutely is. And you know, that's the part that uh, I'm sure. One could always argue we could be even growing even faster because there's, you know, there's continually new businesses forming every day uh, and there's opportunities, you know, coming off of the pandemic. You're starting to see that, you know, come back alive. And uh, it's not like it is a, uh, a, a spigot of water that's being shut off. It is continues to grow and small, medium sized businesses will continue to be the backbone of the U.S. economy. And as such, it's not getting easier for businesses either, be it post-ACA, pandemic, tax, state regulations, local regulations. It's even harder than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. 20 years ago when I first joined Jevity, we uh, benefits were two plans, an HMO and a PPO. <laughs> that was it. So benefit meetings were, were kind of easy. Now it's like... How many iterations of plan design and and factors and tiers and rates and plans and carriers? The complexity is choice is fa- is fabulous, but it, that choice creates complexity, yeah. which makes it even even harder. But knowing that not every business is the same, not every human has the same needs, not every business is the same, and you know you become good at what you do by meeting somebody where they're at. And how they want, where they want, when they want. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's exactly right. And I, I hear that across the board. But it leads me to uh, my next question, which you partially answered. But how has the market changed, and how has the industry changed Ooh, um, since you've been in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I remember first in PEO that nobody. You joke, you know, they don't even know how to spell PEO, and that was very true. Like people are like, "What is this?" Like. Staff leasing? Uh, are, are they my staff? Like, are they your staff? Um, it just was this, like, people didn't know it and it was clunky. And you had a lot of um, variations of what this meant. And it, it uh, I think the, this, this, the line of sight is to what is a PEO? What is the, you know, what is the offering? There were just so many differences, and especially being in Florida. Where yeah. it was a hotbed of PEO, like every, there was a PEO on every um, corner, and 
you know, from a regulatory dynamic, there were a lot of things PEOs could do back then that the, you know, got tightened up on a state or, you know, potentially federal level, depending how you look at it. Um, but there was a lot of opportunity. I never, um, I never got to take a, a lot of vacations because usually, especially with January 1st being a very busy time to start new business. Um, I never had lacked work to do. So it was definitely growing. But when I look at how many players are in the PEO space today and organizations too that, um, you know, have formed from nothing and have done it all organically, I really think shows the power of this industry of what can be done, the value that's provided and the, that there's a need, there's a market need and, while it's sometimes a little difficult to get a, you know pinpoint accuracy what the market share of you know small medium sized businesses up you know depending on where you know do you ended at 99 do you ended at 150 or 500 nonetheless we have as this industry a tremendous um runway that we're not we haven't matured that out like we're not at a place to say you know, we're going to have to fight for each other, you know, fight away from each other because reality is there's enough business out there. Mm -hmm. There is enough need out there. What I have seen, you know, change is the fact there, um, you have more of a recognition. I think that shows through some of the research that Napio has done too, is that you see more organizations, um, utilizing PEOs, the awareness of it, uh, the frameworks that be at state, um, you know, even with passing of SBEA, that there is an, an appreciation that what we do makes sense, um, you know, to no pun with the, the NAPIA marketing, but it's a good idea. It's yeah. a good idea. And so I see that this industry has a lot of runway. It's not nearly at a point of maturity, unlike some industries that maybe are struggling and they don't know how they're going to evolve. Um, and are they going to potentially be put out of business? That's not the case here in this industry. And so to me, the ability to continue to drive, I'd say one thing, Pat, that strikes me as what's changed is I think back in my early days of PEO and there was a community of business consultants that never quite liked PEOs. And that was the broker. <laughs> the broker thought PEOs were the enemy the devil, whatever word you want to use. And quite frankly, PEOs probably thought the same back. It was not uh, a good a good relationship. And what I have seen is over the years that we've both gotten smarter. We've both gotten smarter to realize, you know what? We're, we're actually working on the same thing here. We're focused on the same end result and we can do better together by partnering. And so there are some things I've seen shift with be it the broker community, uh, being able to work together and finding ways to to respectively grow our businesses. Uh, I think that's been a definite change. I was at an event this uh, recently this week and among a broker community. And that was that was the sentiment was, hey, you know what? We see that there's opportunity to get along and we can live together and, you know, find that way that makes us both successful and our mutual customer is taken care of. And I think that's a, a definite difference. Um, I think the HR community understands more about what a PEO is, albeit I'll say, I think there's still a lot of opportunity to um, have HR practitioners and professionals realize that, you know, what they went into HR for was to help people and to 
probably do the fun stuff of HR, not the administrative and the compliance. And that's all that's important stuff. But that's a lot of people, that's not why they really enjoy HR. And so how do I handle those things that I have to do? They're foundational aspects of an HR function, but allow then that professional to really make a difference in that workforce and that culture, um, given we've seen that the culture of the workforce really can make or break a business, you know, be it uh, coming off of George, George Floyd, other social reckoning, which it's not, it's here to stay. And so how do you do that? Because, you know, your employees will call you out and it very publicly uh, and so how do you address that and make sure that you're a workforce of choice, that not only you can attract the best talent and keep them, but they are your best advocates and best cheer- and biggest cheerleaders for your own business. Absolutely. And you want them thinking, singing your praises. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know, we've got a good relationship with Sherm. We exhibit at their show every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks to you, uh, you know, we got a, a better relationship with them. We had a meeting with them a couple of weeks ago just to, to talk about what we could do to work together. They've got 300,000 members. But our message at our booth every year is we're an HR person's best friend, right? as you, right. you just alluded to. So, yeah, let me uh, – you sort of skipped over this. If you don't mind, let's uh, – Let's go back to this meeting you you were at this week. Uh, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. That was really interesting. You told me about that. That was really interesting. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we um, um, Total Source hosted a um, a meeting and a roundtable summit with um, several key brokers in the open market that I think have have iter- have said and they reiterated this week that you know many of them have been in the insurance industry for you know seen the evolution of PEO and will attest themselves saying, you know what, we thought the PEO was the enemy. Um, you know, our whole business model was unwinding a client from a PEO. And we realized that that's not all, that's not uh, where the focus should be. Yes, those things happen, but there's a lot of moments that you can identify that a, a customer needs a PEO. And those needs are beyond what you know, a broker can do just from a benefits or a PNC offering and having a partner that when that customer is talking about all the things that matter and that where the value is created in PEO, that's where like this harmony and the beauty comes together of marrying up and identifying that we have uh, opportunities together. And, you know, brokers will say too, like, I love all my customers, but hey, you know, would I rather play up market? Of course, I'd rather play up market. It's more it's more premium coming in. And so finding a solution that continues to allow them to serve customers regardless of size. But for those that are small, medium-sized businesses to have an alternative when they maybe can't have, you know, a whole suite of HR professionals on staff, but they want to be able to focus on having a good workforce, having a healthy, safe, productive uh, culturally positive workforce that they can uh, grow together. That to me, I think is where those that have a longer range thinking, we see it because then that organization, by the way, they have probably other needs, other insurance lines that you can do business. And so that that partnership really makes a difference. And we just really pick their brain as to what was important to them what things matter to them in terms of the relationship. They want to feel that this is their customer too. They've worked hard 
to secure that organization. It could be a best friend. It could be a college buddy. It could be the neighbor. And that's their credibility. So by referring their partner, the PEO, Total Source in my case, there's they're putting their name on the line. They're putting their brand and their, their professional credibility. So how do we make sure that that partnership, it works? How do we make sure that they feel good about who they're doing business with, that we understand uh, those challenges and that we can work together, you know, when there are those unique needs and quite frankly, be easy to do business with. Yes. You know, yes. Being easy to do business with makes a, a big difference. Right. Being underwritten in a PEO, you know, it's not just like, hey, sign on the line. You're like, there's risk involved. And, you know, our brokers understand that because they're dealing with that, you know, in the open market as well. But how do you do easy to business with so that they can be efficient and have speed of the essence when they when they do get that prospect uh, for the PEO that they want to be able to to convert in? Yeah. yeah. And I was asked the other day about dealing with brokers. And I said, imagine if you hired somebody to help you buy a new car and they only sold Chevys. Right. So if the broker is not offering you all the possibilities then they're really not doing their job. A PEO might be right for you, it might not, but they should certainly have it in their suite of services if they're really going to do their job. Uh, but you, are, you, uh, I was going to ask you, but uh, clearly uh, uh, ADP has uh, results to show for this. Your, your work with brokers is, is paying dividends, is it not? Oh my goodness. It's, um, we've been doing the partnership for about four or five years. And quite frankly, the, the growth really just shows there's an appetite. There's an appetite to work together um, that the the results, if you stack it up, you know, it's kind of like the 10th largest PEO. So we're doing something right. Uh, you know, and just love the fact that we're able to, you know, take what I think was an underserved business consultant community, the broker, and finding a way to help us both be successful. And, you know, knowing that um, insurance isn't getting any easier and that attracting and retaining employees isn't getting any easier. So how do you do, you know, what are those things that you can do that that add value? And they're a great partner and also sharing ideas. What things are they seeing out there? What, um, you know, what trends during open enrollment and talking through, you know, the benefits choices and, and plan selection, like they can be your friend. They're, they're the friend, not the enemy. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, uh, I know like Andy Lubash and Prestige, and mm -hmm. very, very liberal use of brokers. And, you know, as I said, this person asked me the other day, I said, there are a lot of brokers with second homes on the beach, thanks to PEOs. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and unless you're afraid of making money, they really ought to get, you know, and start start working That's with right. us. Um, so I know you've already alluded to the fact, you know, sort of your your uh, optimism for the industry, right, where we are and, and you know, the, the outlook. What's uh, what are the headwinds? What do we have to watch out for? What what could, um, what could bite us? Yeah. You know, it, you know, at uh, our annual conference last September in Palm Springs, uh, I shared, you know, in my when I got the gavel, the official gavel, <laughs> um, great memory and my team and their cowbells uh, that created <laughs> Some some ruckus beforehand, but I, I talked about the fact that we have seen this. Uh, I'd say this pace of state activity, mm. and that's a huge opportunity to me because, as we've seen with some recent Supreme Court decisions, more is happening at a state level, and that's an opportunity for us because if we can get more proactive 
with regulatory frameworks in the states and showing at a state level, we're a good idea. We're good for your constituents. We're good for the businesses here in growth and, and economic stability to your state. Then it's something we want to go after because if we don't manage our message and we don't show that we're a good idea, you can easily become a perceived threat. Mm -hmm. And how do you make sure that you are, you know, utilizing those grassroots relationships to get past um, those uh, favorable frameworks of how the PEO operates? And I, I said that I, I, I had this feeling that there was going to be a lot happening at a state activity, and, and it did. It happened, <laughs> um, and we've had some fantastic wins. I mean, Kentucky. Uh, New Mexico, I mean, New Mexico had been going on for several years and that recently got signed and that was such a tremendous win. Uh, Oregon with the paid family medical leave, I, I, I'm feeling very optimistic there. Um, but though I think those headwinds are going to continue, that we're going to potentially uh, need to deal with individuals, groups, regulatory groups that don't know the real value of PEO being a good idea and how do we go educate? Uh, yeah. And so I really appreciate the, the efforts NAPIO has taken over the last few years of dialing up the marketing and, and dialing up the education because I've used the phrase, be a household name, because <laughs> the more people know about you, you become a trusted advisor, you become a trusted solution. And I wouldn't want to have a small business and do it on my own. I wouldn't dare think about doing it on my own. So why wouldn't that I want to impress upon that opportunity uh, with all of them? So I, I do think that's one headwind. Uh, another, I would say, is I do think here in the short term, call it the next six to 12 months, I think there's economic uncertainty. Um, I will, having said that, I will speak out of the other side of my mouth and say, having been in this industry for 20 years, PEOs are recession proof. Doesn't mean you don't get some type of hit. We, we've seen it where you have a little bit of slowing uh, or flattening. But at the end of the day, when it's a good economic cycle and there's growth and employees are in tight demand, you have to be an employer of choice. Well, how do I become an employer of choice? My PEO can help me. It's a good idea. If I'm in economic headwinds and I'm facing uncertainty, I'm a good idea because I can help you manage cost. I can help you mitigate risk and minimize risk that potentially is out there. And, you know, in these moments where, you know, I, you know, the, that I'm growing, my PEO can grow with me. It, it can grow where I go. Uh, we saw that through the pandemic of, you know, you're operating in a lot of different states now. And the other dynamic of that is, we as a as a country aren't making it any easier for business owners either, and and so regulation, oversight, all of those dynamics. Not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent, but regardless, it makes it more complex. Yeah. And again, yeah. PEO is a good idea; makes it easier. Yeah, yeah. On the state front, you know, I say all the time, you know, growth is great. You know, that that's my mantra: growth is great. But the bigger we get, the more people we bump into. Mm -hmm. Right. Did you ever imagine uh, in March of whatever that was, 2020, that the pandemic wouldn't kill us? Did you ever imagine you would oh. grow during the pandemic? No, absolutely yeah. not. I right. think many of us thought, oh, my gosh. Lights out. Lights out. 
businesses aren't going to be able to operate, um, I, you know, for different PEOs that maybe had a focus in different industries. I, I just was thinking retail, like how does this change retail, hospitality? Uh, I well, quite frankly, at first, I thought this was going to go away in two weeks. And so I thought like, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, two weeks later, I'll be in the office. Well, a year later, yeah. you know, <laughs> Delta, Omicron, uh, all these little false starts. Uh, so I, I, I first of all, never thought it would go on that long. Yeah. But then I, I really did have a great deal of concern. And we automatically, I think as an industry, you know, in our own organizations, but also in Napier, really started going, oh, my goodness, like, what could this mean for us? Yeah. And it forced us to to change some ways, be it doing more webinars and and really doing more real time. You know, you didn't have the the ability to think on it for a few days. You had to react in that moment with the best infer, you know, with the best decision that you could with the information you had at hand. Um, but the reality is, you're right. We grew uh, the just the growth of it and the demand. Uh, you know, shifts maybe in where you saw the growth, and then you went into an inflationary environment of. People, you know, having requirements of their employer like we hadn't seen in the past. Uh, and so it it definitely, I think, was a surprise. I remember doing my annual membership dues for Napio going, oh, my goodness, <laughs> our third quarter, 941s. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, yeah no, I say, and, and you know, again, I will jinx it, right? But it, your your comment about the uh, the recession, and and we are doing a study now about how PEOs fare during a recession, and I think it'll prove what you said. Um, but I I say to my troops all the time, I have a Superman complex, right? Because we <laughs> we prospered during a pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And so many organizations didn't, and. You know, we prospered. And again, it's one of those that uncertainty, there's always the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the FUD factor was high in the pandemic in that you had a lot of fear, health. So keeping my employees health, not only in the workforce, but at home, Um, the uncertainty of what the future was going to hold, the doubt of, do I trust what my... uh, my government officials are doing about this. Do I trust my doctor? There was this doubt factor that really just, it created a, a tension, so to speak, that people had to, to work through. Um, but it really also showed, I think, the heart that goes into business and that, you know, leading with love, leading with heart and the empathy factor. I think there are some things I'm, I'm very proud of that have come from it that, uh, that we still have work to do as an, as um, a society, uh, you know, that we, we showed a lot of love early on. And then at some point we got a little snarky with each other and <laughs> stressed. And how do we, you know, get, get back to, you know, being a little nicer, but I think it also shows that there's just so many, there's, there's emotions involved and, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. we don't always handle things the right way as humans and, you know, business is human. Yeah, absolutely right. No, it's a great point. And we were reminded of it right all through the pandemic. We really were. So let me switch gears a little bit. You mentioned grassroots. So I have to tell everybody that whatever it was a couple of months ago, we're like, okay, Kristen, that's the capital up there. So we're <laughs> going to go in and you're going to have to, you know, make nice with everybody. 
and we created the monster. Did, and you did. came out like, damn, this is great. So talk about lobbying, right? Because lobbying is like, okay, before you go, you better know every detail of ERISA and federal labor law and everything because you're going to get grilled and you really <laughs> better know and it's really intimidating. And blah, blah. So what's it like when you walk in? What's What was it? You know, I, you know, I have to say like the word lobbying to me before I even, you know, went into it for the first time, I I thought that was like a dirty word. I don't know why I can't, I don't, I can't explain why I thought that was a dirty word. I'm sure, uh, you know, some TV shows and political dramas thought this was, you know, this, you know, weird thing that occurred. And, but what I realized was it's about advocacy. It's about telling your story. Yes. It's about knowing who matters to you. And in my case, what mattered to me was the thousands of clients, the hundreds, thousands of employees that not only my organization, Total Source, supported, but the broader industry. And these are, you know, the the American dream of being successful and having the ability to make things better for the next generation, the ability to make life better and have choices. And I'm simply there telling that story and doing it in a succinct manner. How how hard was that? It wasn't hard because I love it. I love what I do and it just oozes out of me. And you're right, Pat, in that I thought I had to know all these details. Here's the reality. You know more than the people in that room. And so I love it when I go in there like, I don't know what a PEO is. Awesome. I got my 60 second spiel. I got it down. Uh, and it's like, oh, I get it. It seems like a good idea. And then when you're a little bit more on the technical side of, you know, yes, you just tell the story. What's the pain point? What is your ask? Uh, you know, it's not always having the solution, uh, recognizing that there are a lot of competing priorities. Watch the news any night of the day of the week. You realize there's a lot going on. There's no perfect answer, but it's your advocate, you know, it's the advocacy. It's showing who you represent, what matters to you. I think it gave me a lot of uh, faith in our political system, you know, the, of, hey, there are people who really do care um, and meeting with senators, you know, directly and seeing that they 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 live where they're serving. Yes. And I, yes. I think I didn't appreciate how much that really meant. Uh, so, yes, you've created a little bit of a monster <laughs> in that every opportunity now to go to the Hill, I am like, sign me up. I'm there. We love it, man. We love it. OK, so I don't want to get you into trouble because I know we only have you for an hour. So I will wrap up with two questions. First of all, uh, the elephant in the room, you have another full time job this year. Uh, because uh, you are the chair of the search committee. So Thanks, uh, I'm Thanks. bailing out. That's it. I'm all, I'm like, I'm done with this joint. The hell with it. So uh, just talk about that a little bit, if you would. Yeah. So, you know, and by the way, Pat, the, before I talk about the process, I mean, a huge 12 years, I know that you are very proud. You're, you're also very humble um, about the, the impact you've made and, really the joy that you've brought to, you know, the work you do. And I think it shows we recently did a culture survey among the NAPIO staff and to see words like caring and passion while also results to me, like that is something I get goosebumps thinking about because that's something to be proud of. And I think that's a, a direct reflection, Pat, of 
your leadership. And so thank you. I know I still have you for, you know, seven, eight more months. And yeah, so yeah. I plan to get every ounce of energy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's the search process. This, you, know, you certainly have um, set a high bar, Pat, and that, thank you. you know, you're going out on a high and things are going really good. And so the search committee that has been put together that I'm, you know, spearheading, we have our, our work cut out for us. But we want to, you know, do you, you know, the honor of finding that next president CEO of NEPO that you're going to look, you know, 10 years from now and go, I was a part of that journey of that success. And they're uh, out so there. They're they, out there. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's no Pat Cleary. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. So, I mean, we've done, I mentioned the culture survey. We've done some focus groups of our board uh, and of um, some of our associate members really finding out what's important. Like, what is it about Pat Cleary that's been super successful? Um, but what, a, you know, where's the the value of the membership? And so even asking our, our members, our associate members, what does Napio mean to you? What are the things that have added value to your organization that have supported the, the growth? Uh, what are those things that you want to continue and where do you want to see the industry grow? What are the what is that characteristic of that leader that's going to take us into the future? So it's it's certainly not an overnight process. It's yeah. a multi month. Uh, and I, as I shared in the email to the membership, I I take great pride in making sure that it's a, a process with integrity, that we bring the ultimate best uh, and that we, you know, Gonna reflect and honor what you have done, what many people have done in terms of building this industry over the years, uh, and making sure that it sustains for the long term. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, and again, as I said from the start, I've been blessed with a great team and great leadership, and uh, it's been great. And I, I said to, the, to you guys, since the search committee <laughs> sounds funny, but I said this is a better job than. I got right, so you know the the gene pool is a little thin when you guys got me, but now it's a it's a good job. So you're going to get top tier candidates. There, there's no doubt about it. And We're that's, excited. It's going to hear from them. Okay, so this is the question you've been fearing, but I also have an answer if you don't. So what is something about you that we don't know? All right, I had to, I, you told you gave me a heads up because. I did. You know, while I may be an open book in a lot of different ways, there are some things that people may not realize about me. And these are maybe some fun ones. Mm -hmm. um, so I, when I was young, I wanted to be an astronaut. Okay. I loved space and I went to space camp. Yes. Seriously? I went to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama <gasps> and adored it. Loved it. I still have the flight suit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sit in it, but I still got it. Um, I, if I ever invite you over for dinner, Pat, <laughs> decline. Say, let's meet somewhere for dinner because let me be very clear. I do not cook. I don't like cooking. I don't know how to cook. I can barely work the microwave. So, yes. Do not ask me to cook. Right. Do not ask me to take care of your plant because it will be dead. Don't <laughs> ask me for directions because we'll be doing a lot of U-turns. Um, even when Waze is telling me to turn right, I turn left. I clearly don't listen. Um, yeah, those are those are maybe some of the things that you would know These are know good about. to know. So I have two more to add, one, one fun and one serious. The one 
that your husband Rob works the Masters every year. I just yeah, discovered that. Does. I was like, "Oh, what are you doing this weekend?" You're like, "Oh, well, you know, Rob's gonna be at the Masters." Like, what? <laughs> so he works there every year, right? Yes, he does. He's a gallery guard. Unbelievable. And the other thing I wanted to say is, when you come to Washington, you make one very special visit. I do. Where is it? Where is uh, it? My father is buried in Arlington. So about ten years ago. He passed away and um, through a series of like finding out unexpectedly, uh, given his Vietnam War status, that he could be buried there. It was an immense privilege. Um, You know, they the the. I don't know what the right word is, the, the the tribute, the honor, the just the endearment of what is in that service and a 21 gun salute and the flag and, you know, even the bullets from the, the casings from the 21 gun salute. It's it's one of those that I just I can't forget. It was a very sad yeah. day. Yeah. But every time I'm in Washington, D.C., I stop by and I talk to dad so and, uh, you know, and uh, he the he faces, I would say, I think it's like more towards the Pentagon. But uh, mm-hmm. he uh, I think he would have been very proud of the decision my mom and I made. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at some point in the future, hopefully far off, my mom will join him. Yeah. Um, but far, far off. She just turned 80 yesterday. So I don't want to you know, tell her that. Yeah, right. she's got time. But um, it was truly an honor. And, uh, you know, it's it's having like the special pass to go in that I can actually just drive into Arlington and park right there. Um, very, very special. And every time I'm in there, I'm seeing somebody put a, you know, barrier and turn a loved one. And it's very special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been to uh, several burials over there. And it's just memorable. It's unbelievable. So thank you so much, Kristen Appleman, a title too long to repeat. Uh, <laughs> such a great run. Uh, you can still go to space. I mean, there's a chance. So I'd keep I that. Could. You know, I, I now, if you'd like to fund out. my, if you'd like to start a GoFundMe, Pat, yes. and like call yes. up your buddy Bezos or yes. Musk. Yeah. Um, ADP may not like the fact that, you know, you're putting me on a propelled jet engine that I might not come back down, but it, I would. It might. They might be able to get a little sponsorship out of this, like sort of total source on the side of the rocket or something. We'll work on on that, which is great. We put Pico on the moon. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Pat.